0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner, and I'm delighted to be joined on today's program by Rakesh Joshi. Rakesh is the head teacher and owner of The Learning Hub, a provider of group tuition services, one-to-one tuition and holiday booster classes based in North, Wembley, London. Rakesh, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the air today.
1: Thank you and good morning to you.
0: real pleasure having you join us Rakesh. Now the purpose of this discussion is to establish your take on leadership and I think it's fair to say that leadership is something that is really being put to the test at the moment isn't it with the emergence of the COVID-19 situation no less and the need for leaders of businesses, organisations, institutions and governments to feel their way through this uncharted territory. Um, For somebody working within education such as yourself how has it been trying to navigate the last few weeks and months because I can imagine it has posed some incredible challenges for you.
1: Yes, I mean, um, I think COVID nineteen took everybody by surprise. Um, we heard about it the distancing in China, and I don't think we really prepared to face it in in the UK and London area. But once it hit us, we we are basically uh, based in a leisure centre, and we were given two hours notice, kind of really shut down, and not sure when to come back. We had started preparing. Uh, I had started preparing a backup of all my data and everything else. And when we took those down, we, you know, uh, uh, took what we could uh, out of the center. Um, I started operating from uh, one of the bedrooms in my house. Fortunately, my eldest has left home, so her room was free. And I took that room over. Now, from a technology point of view, uh, from an organizational point of view, we kind of really more and more focused on children doing well in education. The news out there was schools were shut, children were falling behind, and I sat down um, with my wife who worked for me, I said, look, we have got to turn this one around. We can't afford to let the children down. Um, one of the things we specialize in is 11 plus exams. And uh, we said, right, what can we do? And I think uh, we, we closed on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we were researching. Um, we looked at uh, different platforms. One of them was Zoom, but the publicity and everything was um, not very good because people can Zoom uh, dash. That's uh, when they can crash into the classroom and leave offensive material, things like that. We're teaching children. We also register. We have to look at all these things and put into a proper perspective. Eventually, came across Google Classroom. We started looking at Google Classroom, and uh, to be honest, it's completely new technology. The software is completely different to what we had been using. Um, fortunately, Google did provide a lot of support to us. Um, I then realized that my um, hardware kit at home wasn't good enough. I could buy new computers, printers, uh, everything else. Um, at the same time, uh, we had to kind of move our infrastructure across from, should we say, the good old days to the um to the new era of computing. So we spent about a week reskilling um on the software side, setting up the new hardware, and then porting our lesson materials across from um the old to the new. Now we started the class Uh, We contacted parents. The parents were very grateful that we were moving rapidly. And we started the first class about eight, nine days from us closing down in our uh, center. The online classes were, at first, should we say, the first couple of hours, um, new to everyone. We all realized that there was a learning still required. The uh, first thing was, the children didn't know how to use the hardware. It did not help that the parents didn't understand the hardware and were trying to treat. So we had to do the same taste sessions for the parents and the children make them comfortable. Uh, some children did want to go in front of the camera and talk, uh, take part of the class, and then gradually they realized that it was pretty cool to do all these things. And the children graced it lot quicker than the parents. On our side, we realized a sudden that the the one to one contact you can have in a class with a child, either working, they fidgeting, uh, talking, not paying attention, daydreaming. We had lost all that. And we had to re go our cameras and everything else so we can look at that side properly. So from a from our perspective, we all of a sudden realized that, you know, whilst e-learning is the way forward now, uh, there's things we had to address. And we started focusing more on directly engaging with the children, asking them more questions. And we we'll realized the simple things that works. Um, For example, on our screen, we could see um, the children uh paying attention you know, and if one of the children just kind of mean, you know, we I'd interrupt the lesson out there and say, Hey, bless you, um, and give the child's name as such and the child will acknowledge. And you notice know, all all the other children are understanding that we are watching them like we do in class and they start paying attention, they start getting engaged. The first, the first two weeks, um, as I said, was a learning curve for us. Um, even when we were allocating homework out, we had to teach the children where to pick up the homework, from what folder they had to go, how to get it, and then we realised simple things like that children didn't have a printer at home, or, you know, their their harder kit was old, and there was a lagging time in what we, when we were teaching, and what they were actually hearing and seeing. So we had to kind of work around this. We contacted our um, internet provider and said, look, can you boost our bandwidth? Um, I think the government guideline on the internet providers was to reduce bandwidth for everyone because there's a high use of internet activities everywhere. Uh, They did help out to a degree when we told them what we're up to and what we're doing. and from, from, from the um, the children's side, as I said, they were embracing the technology. They were actually liking it. And we are finding that, you know, the following week, more children had done their homework than they normally would, and the quality of the homework was increasing. We we also found that the parents at the same time um, needed a hand-holding exercise. They were new to e-teaching. Um, they felt kind of, shouldn't say, um, shy in what was going on and how to take part. Um, but basically, the training was focused on the children. Um, we then had to look at our platform because we kind of were looking at what's going on in the real world when we're teaching the children, have to go back to our drawing board and find out what we was lacking at our end. We found that um, some of the software we are running need to be updated. We also realized that our new core software, um, we needed more hand-holding exercise in order to get the best out of it. Um, We normally employ a team of 10 people, teachers and everything else. We're down to two. Our staff were on COVID uh, for a layoff, and we couldn't approach them physically with the government guidelines. We couldn't train them online because we were teaching ourselves as going along. So our workload actually had increased from what used to be an eight-hour day now became a 12, 14-hour day. It was a five-day week, now it was a seven-day week. and. To be honest, at first it was difficult. Everything was new. Um, the first thing I can advise everybody is we've got to adapt to the change. You know, e-learning is here now, it's the future. And um, we also started talking to parents and listening to what they were saying. And what we used to do was send out the uh, questionnaires to them we should ring test uh, our parents up and find out how the children are finding it, uh, what the apprehension is, what sort of help they need, uh, so we can guide them through. We quickly realized that, you know, we've got the Apple platforms, the Windows platforms, the different hardware that goes with it, and the different issues they're causing, even down to the browsers themselves. Some had been upgraded uh, updated, some hadn't, some were using, you know, um simple antivirus software and they were blocking things out. So we were addressing all this by talking to the customers and dealing with them. And you know, they probably addressed everything. The best thing was the parents were with us. They were actually appreciating what we were doing and the speed we were working out the extra hours and effort we're putting in. The children, you know, by month two, the feedback, they're actually improving. Uh, we got our own target where they should be uh, for the long class exams, how they should be performing and everything else. And they were slightly above that target because they had now time at home, they're doing more work, they're getting more focused and they're actually enjoying everything. So, where this is concerned, I think from a leadership point of view, the leaders got to be adaptive. They got to be open to change and they have got to embrace change properly. And they have got to get themselves, you know, straight in the front line. Because only by getting in the front line that you go back and, you know, really train the staff properly, because it's completely the skilling of staff. Um, the staff aren't the crucial thing to everything. But as a leader, we need to know what's going on. We need to understand it. And then we can set out a proper strategy and map the future clearly. Um, I hope that kind of answered what we got up to and how we we approached the whole thing. Mm,
0: Certainly, um, Rakesh. And um, you've mentioned, of course, um, on a couple of occasions there that e-learning is the future. So under the new normal, do you think that that conventional classroom space is something that's going to eventually be phased out or do you think that there is still a place for that in education?
1: Um, I think there's, there's a place for both now. Um, I think it's become more side-by-side uh, side and complemented. Um Elon is not going to take over the classroom. The classroom is very unique. We do need that. But I think IT technology has got to move into the classroom um, where children, at first, will come along um, with their tablet computers, do work on their tablet computers, I think there's a need now where the um teaching in the class needs to be recorded and kept online so the children can review it. And so, oh yes, this is how I was explained something, is what the teacher was telling me. So the two are going side by side. And I think with COVID nineteen that process has been accelerated into a very short time span. Mm.
0: I think that's um, exactly right. And if we think about now what the future is going to hold itself, um, Rakesh, before we do wrap things up on the uh, the programme, um, what do you actually envision yeah. the next 12 to 18 months holding for yourself and for the Learning Hub? And what do you hope to achieve as we move through this pandemic and um, embrace the new normal and the challenges that that is going to bring with it? OK, I
1: mean, um, as I said, e-learning has a strong future. Um, as an organisation, we've embraced that. Um, one of the things we have picked up is that there is a strong need, or special attention is to paid to authentic assessment. Um, but basically, I think where learning is concerned, is no longer local. I think the world is truly your oyster, and you know, with the right strategy, I think we can start marketing ourselves online, uh, everywhere. And it's it's, it's an area I'm now um, uh, looking at to see what we can do and how we can help other, other children far away. The physical distance is no longer a barrier
0: it's an incredibly interesting way of looking at it because with the um the advent of e-learning you're absolutely right Rakesh distance is no longer a barrier and we can reach people all over the uh, the world and i think you know given how insightful it's being discussing this And these plans with you today, I think it would be fantastic if in future we could catch up and have you back on the programme once we're a few months down the line, just to see how things are getting on with that sort of provision and catch up on how things at the Learning Hub are getting on as well. Because it's one thing, of course, speculating about what the future might bring and it's another entirely just looking at the situation as and when it comes and also assessing in the meantime exactly what has changed and what challenges have come about in that period too.
1: Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to come back and, uh, you know, give you an update on how we're handling things, what we're doing next. Um, and if we can guide other education organisations to better, we'd be glad to do that. I
0: it'd think so to. too as well, Rakesh. It would be absolutely fantastic. It's been a real pleasure, of course, having you um, on the programme to discuss um this uh, with us today. Um, and most importantly, until, of course, we do speak again in future, do... By all means, take care and stay safe. With all still going on, because COVID nineteen is still out there. We're not out of the woods yet, and there is plenty of time for things still to change for the worse as well as the better.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, I can say thank you very much. Uh, you know, appreciate this, Scott.
0: Likewise Rakesh and that was Rakesh Joshi speaking everybody tuning into this he is head teacher and owner of the Learning Hub in North Wembley, London Coming up next on today's programme I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary Lord Blunkett Um, Lord Blunkett is an active member of the House of Lords today Chairman of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and of course former Labour MP and Secretary of State During his political career he rose to prominence to become one of the most notable politicians of his generation, holding a number of senior positions in the cabinet of then Prime Minister Tony Blair and serving as the MP for his Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years. He was elevated to the House of Lords as Baron Blunkett of Brightside and Hillsborough in August of 2015. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Matthew relished the opportunity to speak with him. All of that is coming up next.
3: Normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected Mm -hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks. Those who uh, don't have um, declined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can. Uh, dear to the PAYE for furloughing staff and of course whether they can receive the, the grant 10,000 or 25,000 all, all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future but I think the second thing to say and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who, who did once do a business studies qualification which is that it will be a different world. And being able Mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important.
2: Do you feel that the long-term effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak uh, will in some ways be positive uh, for British industry? And you're absolutely right. In a in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um,
3: well, the the UK and um, and the US and to some extent uh, the Scandinavian countries have a very different hi- interest uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and mm. consent that's required. has gone over the top. And that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That's another strength of um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool.
2: Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react. uh, And Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice. Uh, The health secretary often chairs corporate meetings uh, related to health. Uh, Does this tally with your experience as a Secretary of State, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the
3: initial stages? I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows, those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to to demonstrate their capability. So I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential cobra meetings what i was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because Mm -hmm. my experience with tony blair for the eight years i was in cabinet was that tony was a great delegator but he would get a grip to begin with watch what the difficulties were and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it so looking back i think boris himself probably thinks god i Wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy. I think we'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today.
2: Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um,
3: Well, it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions having received advice. Obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts if i might use that term who'd previously been denigrated mm-hmm. scientists medics people with behavioral science uh, understanding my only criticism was were we getting wide enough advice were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centers in london but that's because i've always been adverse to everything being london-centric i think there's great expertise wisdom experience out in the sticks, and uh, we should use it.
2: Uh, Rightly so. Um, Now, was pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary?
3: Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counterterrorism measures. Right. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond. We did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and and real, on the back of that. It was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in Edinburgh where the university had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics, and of course we, we saw SARS and other things emerging, I, I think it would. People have criticised the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You you can you can sponsor reports. This is true of business planning, of course, as well and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like, recovery plans for business, what will happen if um, there's a cyber attack, what happens if there's an energy sh- cut, uh, shut shutdown, um, these kind of things you, you can look at, but you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS or what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the developed?" nations, that we don't have a vaccine for, Mm -hmm. that we can't immediately whisk up uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will make an enormous difference to the planning for for the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened. But very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself. Some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I have put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack uh, scenario, Mm -hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a a world of just-in-time provision. One of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world, except for the very poor, has been the distribution of food, a lot of it on computerized, uh, technologically advanced systems, if that were to come down, we'd be in real trouble. So I think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well.
2: So have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber warfare.
3: Yes, and to do so on different levels. I think, again, thinking of... Thinking global but acting local, we need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without creating even more anxiety. We can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think.